This morning I figured I would try to make a statement, not knowing if the sermon would, I figured the shirt might, um, just to keep everyone on their toes. Please join me in prayer as we turn to the Lord's Word. Heavenly Father, we come to you uh, recognizing that we are your people, but that we often continue to stray. We often continue to try to go our own way. We are grateful that you have forgiven us by the blood of the Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. We pray that your spirit would open our hearts and minds to this word, that we would understand who you are and how you have called your people to live following you each and every day. Amen. Well, last week, uh, I preached um, about the character of the king, and as I ended, I quoted a lyric. Um, It was from a modern song. And I I thought on balance, I I should start this sermon quoting another lyric, but maybe from an older hymn, you know, new song, old hymn. Um, It it happens that this is one of my favorites, not because I only like old songs, but because this was one that was played at at, uh, Sarah and my wedding. Uh, So it, you know, it always is um, nostalgic for me. It's Come Thou Fount. It's it's a familiar one. We know it. And in the second verse, uh, Robert Robinson wrote... Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God. I find it interesting that that's kind of how he's working through this. Um, Jesus seeks after his people when they're not in the fold of God, when when they're strangers, when they're aliens. And the verse ends by saying that, that Jesus cleanses these strangers and aliens with his blood. It's the gospel. Right? It's this picture of people who are, are, are strangers and aliens to the Lord, who do not want to know the Lord necessarily. Um, and then we see that Jesus pursues them and draws them to himself. And, and so they move from outside of the fold, if you will, to inside of the fold. But for this morning, the, the part of what I highlight actually comes in verse 3. And he says there um, that he prays that the grace of God would act like a fetter. And when I was little, I didn't know what fetter meant, um, I, I, but it basically is, act, is, is, is meaning handcuff. The, the author of the hymn is saying that, that he hopes that God's grace is like a handcuff. And I wonder, wh- why does that need to happen? But the author says it. He says that we're prone to wonder. Not wonder as in think, wander as in walk away, right? We're prone to wander. Lord, I feel it, right? Prone to leave the God I love. Christians, right? Folks like you and me, uh, though we know the Lord, we, we belong to the Lord, we've been redeemed by the Lord's blood, we continue to wander from him. We continue to, to seek our own ways, not, uh, not seeking to follow him, to, to know him, to love him, to listen to him. As we think about this, as we, as we recognize that we're gathered here, um, we recognize that it's easy to follow the Lord. Uh, it's, you know, he speaks in his word, and so we hear from his word, and we want to do what it says, and it's easy. And part of the reason why it's easy is because of the, the beauty of creation, which the Lord has provided for us. But the question remains, what do we do 
when things aren't so easy? What, what do we do when things are somewhat difficult or surprising? Do we then continue to follow after the Lord or do we seek to wander? If the hymn writer's right, then we seek to wander. Today, as we look at 1 Samuel 8, we see a wandering people. They're God's people, the ones he brought out of Egypt, but yet they still aren't seeking to follow him. They're asking for a king. And if you remember last week, you know, the whole point of last week was that Israel needed a king. So you might be wondering, what in the world is the problem with wanting a king? Well, we'll see this morning that Israel, in asking for a king, doesn't really want to follow the Lord. They're just seeking for a new way to remain disobedient. A new way to follow their own heart's desires. As we think about that this morning, I imagine we recognize that from time to time we do the same. We then rejoice that the Lord does not leave us in our wandering. He doesn't leave us to go. Rather, the Lord brings us back to Christ again and again and again. Those that belong to Christ are held there fettered, bound to Christ, not in awful servitude, but in grace. They're held there, redeemed by the blood of their Savior, and they're held until he calls them home, for which we can rejoice. Now, when you and I think about what it means that the Lord has redeemed us, we likely look back to the cross. We recognize Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, and we, we recognize that that's what's taken away our sin and has made us righteous before the Lord, and we rejoice. We also recognize, as we think about what the Lord is going to do, namely that he's going to return and that we will dwell with him forever, right? So there's a kind of a backwards look at what he's done and a forward look at what he's still to do, and we, 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 we long for that day and we rejoice. We recognize that for an Old Testament believer, they also would have looked back, not to Jesus because he hadn't come yet, but they would have looked back to the Exodus. Remember when, when God led them out of Egypt, when God parted the Red Sea and caused them to, to walk through on dry land? When the Egyptians tried it, it didn't work so well for them, right? The, the water came crashing in and Israel was saved. So that's how, what an Israelite would have looked back to. And they would have looked forward to going into the land, possessing the land, dwelling in peace. They would have looked forward to the coming Messiah. But we have this picture where we see, just like we look both backwards and forwards for what the Lord is doing, so also believers in the Old Testament would have, would have done the same. And so here we have people that are redeemed by the Lord. They look back and they see what the Lord has done. They, they, they look back and they recognize the fact that the Lord has established that nation. And they would say, yes, I am part of Israel. I'm part of the Lord's people. But just because they recognize that fact and just because they are looking forward to what is to come, they still are wayward. We see that here in... Um, in verse 5, they come to Samuel, the elders of the people come to Samuel and they say, Now appoint a king for us, like all the nations. And the critical part of the demand is, like all of the nations. Right? I, 
I don't want you to get a get the impression here that this is like a bunch of Baptists gathering together and going to the pastor and saying we kind of want to be like some Methodists instead of Baptists, right? It's it's not that sort of thing. It's it's not a it's not it's not saying well I just want to go from one flavor of of Israel to another. Um, this is to say that I don't want to follow the God who redeemed me out of the land of Egypt. I want to follow the gods of the nations. Now, we live in a world where pretty much as long as you keep yourself to yourself, you can do what you want over there. I don't know why over there or maybe over there, but you, you, you get to do what you want. But we need to recognize that this is um, not a good thing. It's, it's dangerous, um, largely because we see that the nations that surrounded Israel were awful, were evil. The, the gods of the, these nations were um, gods like Chemosh of the, uh, the Moabites, Molech of the Ammonites. I, I read these names because they're in our scriptures and because the, the, the accounts of what goes on is awful. Remember that Molech, when, when people worshipped him, they, they caused the children to pass through the fire and not come out on the other side, right? It, it, it's child sacrifice. We, we, we recognize that, that these are a, a picture of the gods that the people want to follow. And we, we recognize that this is doubly difficult because this isn't like a hobby, right? It's, it's not like uh, something like axe throwing. If you want to be good at axe throwing, go be an axe thrower and just watch where you throw and everything will be okay. When, when you worship something, it shapes who you are. It shapes what you become. Uh, you, you've heard the expression, you are what you eat. Well, you could also maybe add, you become what you worship. Uh, so, what, what does this mean? What, how does this look? If you worship a God who values life, then you will value life. If you, if you worship a God who is truthful and, in fact, is true, then you will not value dishonesty, but will value the Lord. As we look at history, we see you know, that, that Western civilization was shaped the way that it has been shaped, largely because of Christian belief. And it's kind of, the logic of it is kind of easy to understand. You know, people follow the Lord. They prioritize the things that the, the Lord prioritizes. They pass rules, laws, uh, governances on society. And then when we see the, the, the law of the land, it looks okay. And we praise the Lord for that. We recognize in our own day, it's slightly different. We don't have Molech or Baal or, or Chemosh. We have nothing. We have atheism. We have, we have no God. But the principle st still remains the same. You know, when we, when we live in a society like our own, instead of worshiping Baal and becoming like Baal, we worship whatever stands in his place. And as we look at the news, as we look around, what we see that stands in his place is the self the individual, the person. And what we understand happens then is as people look to themselves as the highest authority, whatever they want to do is okay. 
because nobody is telling them any different. And so we live in this world um, that is, in one sense, vastly different than Old Testament Israel, but in another sense is the same, right? They are seeking to follow after other gods. When they do that, they're going to become like those gods. And we, too, today, are looking to follow after gods, but that god ends up being our own individual desires. And you say, well, what does it mean that you look like yourself? It means that you you do whatever you want. You don't acknowledge the one who made you. In fact, you don't even acknowledge reality as he has revealed himself. This makes this decision to, to follow other gods, to look like the nations, not a good one. It, it makes it fraught with difficulty. It means that it's, like I said, it's not like it's a hobby. It's not morally neutral. When Israel comes to Samuel and they say, we want to be like the gods, or we want to be like the nations around us, it is as serious as to say, we reject the Lord. We don't want to follow him. We don't want to know him. We don't want to acknowledge that he exists. And again, I say these are people that have been delivered out of Egypt. These are people that have been delivered from, from foreign powers. These are people who, who belong to the Lord or would, would have every understanding that they do. It's a difficult place to be at. And we recognize that life wasn't perfect for them. We see, in fact, that, that some over them had acted inappropriately. But nonetheless, the people here are rejecting the Lord. And we see with that the Lord sees it as such. If you look at verse 7, you see what the Lord says. He says, listen to Samuel, right? Samuel's upset. He said, listen to the voice of the people. For they've not rejected you. They've rejected me from being king over them. And this is human history. This is a summation of human history. And it comes not just from people who don't know the Lord, who have never known the Lord. It comes from people that are part of Israel, part of the, the household of faith, we would say. They, they, they say, I don't want to follow the Lord and in part or in whole. We see glimpses of this throughout the scripture. I mean, to be honest, we, it's all over the scripture, but we see uh, instances like Job's wife, right? Remember when Job was, was um, being tempted and he was suffering and, and the Lord said to Satan, you can do just about whatever you want. You can't kill him though. And so he's afflicted with terrible boils. And his, his wife, Job's wife, said, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. And I think, what an encouragement. Right? What, what, a, what a joy to hear. Um, but that's what Job heard. Or consider Gideon. Right? We sometimes hold him up as an as a example of wonderful faith. We sometimes hold him up, you know, rightly, as a judge over Israel. And we say, look at what he did. But we need to remember that the first thing that, that he's told to do is tear down an altar of Baal. Okay, that's fine. That's part of what judges do. But it was at his dad's house. So you're to tear down the God of the nations that are around you, but it's within you. In fact, we, as we look through the, the Old Testament, we see that Israel is full of examples where the people... Though they claim to follow the Lord, do elsewise. 
we see actually in Acts chapter 7, Stephen highlights the history of God's people. And he points out different inconsistencies in them. The people know exactly what they're going to, what he's doing. And as a response, they kill him. Now, how do we fit into this? As I said, you know, we are in a slightly different position. We don't look back to the Exodus. We look back to Christ. But I think if we're honest, we see that there are times and circumstances where we too are wayward. How does the Lord respond to us? This morning we read in Matthew chapter 21 where, where is the parable of the vineyard. And it's a summary of what went on in Israel through, through history. That the Lord has a vineyard and he's rented it out to his people. And he's expecting to receive the fruit from the vineyard, which we would say is obedience. But the people continue to be wayward. The people continue to, to, to walk this way and that and to not follow the Lord. And when he sins, judges, prophets, godly kings, men and women that were faithful to the Lord, the response from the people was that they beat one, they killed one, they, they stoned one. I mean, it, it's, it's a horrendous tale. The people of God continue to reject him. It's interesting that Jesus, as he's describing this story, is is talking to Pharisees, and he basically you know, encourages them to say, well, what would, what's going to happen? And they said, hey, well, these wretched people are going to come to a wretched end. And short, the expectation was that the Lord is going to come in, and there'll be wholesale clean out. Slaughter them all. We sit here, in the beauty of creation... And to some degree, we have to wonder, is that what's going to happen? Is that how this plays out? Is it the case that, that the people continue to reject the Lord, and so the Lord brings the hammer down? I mean, if so, then, then where we go from here is that you know, I begin to, to become very animated and say, well, you need to do better and you need to follow the Lord and you need to not wander and you need to, to, to turn to him. But as we see, when Jesus is explaining this parable, that's not what he says. What he says is a little difficult. And so we want to, to look at it. But he, he, as Jesus looks at as Jesus speaks, he says that he who falls on this stone be broken to pieces but whomever it falls upon it will scatter him like dust and we scratch our heads a bit but we remember what's going on here is that Jesus is saying to the Pharisees the stone that is abandoned the stone that's rejected is going to become the most important stone the chief stone or to say it a different way the one that you're rejecting God's servant that you're not following. He is king over all. He's the stone. And so then he says that we, as God's people, need to fall upon the stone. And, and that's not easy. You know, we're fa we fall upon the stone and we're broken to pieces. And, and I, I mean, I've broken a bone 
twice. I don't like it. It's not fun. It hurts. It hurts for a long time. Then your arm is stiff and things don't work right. It, it's, it's distressing, but the Lord is describing that sort of circumstance for people who come to him, that they fall upon him and are broken. What is he talking about? In short, what he's talking about is that when we fall upon Christ, we come to the end of ourselves. We recognize the sin that's in our lives. We recognize that we have not done things as we ought to have done things. And in Jesus, we see our salvation. So it's, a, it's, a, it's uncomfortable. It's often humiliating. We come to the end of ourselves, but we find Jesus. And so we are broken, but in Christ we're made whole. So, so as we think about that, not just for the Pharisees that heard Jesus, but also for the folks that came to Samuel, and indeed for ourselves, we have to wonder what would that have looked like, right? I mean, we, we understand that, that Samuel, um, that the people when they came to Samuel had good reason for being upset. Samuel's sons were, were being awful. They weren't following the Lord, and they were leading the people astray. The people were upset. They should have been upset. How should they have responded? There's actually, there's a picture of this in, in Nehemiah. You know, I, I've said that Israel would have looked back to the Exodus as like the, the act of deliverance. They would have looked at the exile as God's judgment. And when God's people came out of the exile... There's an instance in the book of Nehemiah, it's in chapter 8, where they're all gathered together, and Ezra the scribe is there along with the leaders of the people, and they, they read the law. And it's fantastic, because when he opens the scroll, the people stand up, and he reads all of the law. And I don't know if you've ever read through all of the law in one sitting, but it takes a while. And they stood the whole time. It would have been uncomfortable physically, but that was nothing compared to what the people felt spiritually, emotionally. They were broken. They were weeping because they realized that they had sinned. They, they, they fell upon the law and they realized that they were not whole. They were not good. They were not right. Ezra said to the people, do not weep for today is a day of gladness. It's a day of holiness. It's a day of awesome wonder. Why? Because that day was the day where the people received grace from the Lord. It's that same picture, right? Where when we, we, we come onto, when we fall upon the rock, we are broken, but we're made whole by God's grace. The same picture that should have taken place in 1 Samuel is the picture that takes place in our lives, right? Again, Sunday morning, a little bit of a breeze, hoping that the cloud cover stays so it is Sunday in the shade for everyone. Um, but but we, we understand that it's beautiful and it's relatively easy to, to follow the Lord as we think about somewhat idyllic situations. But what do we do when things that are unexpected happen, right? Whether it's, whether it's a bad diagnosis or, or major life 
altering event or quite frankly whether it's your kids clean their room or not right or the other way uh, your parents show up at your baseball game what do we do when when there are unexpected circumstances do we continue to follow the lord or not and it's it's again it's one where i can say you better but that's missing the point what we need to understand from samuel is that the lord in his gracious provision even though the people were going astray were erring he was going to by this king draw them back in time to himself ultimately we see this in the lord jesus ultimately we we recognize this as we continue to come back to the lord jesus saying lord we recognize we've screwed up help us we we see the way in which the lord has died for us it's actually the reason why we continue to have confessions of sin at each and every week it's not because we are more awful than everybody else it's because we recognize that we do sin and we come back to the lord and when we come back to the lord we are broken but we're made whole by the grace of the lord jesus as we think about first samuel as we think about a wayward people as we think about people who who are are seeking their own way whether the circumstances are are perfect or whether they're imperfect we can look at them and say that boy how do they do that shouldn't shouldn't they know better well, where we need to begin as we look at first samuel is we need to recognize our own tendencies to do the same and we need to ask the lord to help us because it's not the sort of thing where by my own bootstraps i can seek to follow him closer better stronger faster rather by the help of his spirit speaking through the word we come to the end of ourselves we see the lord jesus as he has revealed himself we see the lord jesus as he has redeemed us we see the lord jesus as he has loved us and died for us that we might be righteous and with him forever and as we then are able to see jesus our hearts are changed and we long to follow him let's pray heavenly father we come to you in the name of our savior the lord jesus we come to you in the name of the one who has redeemed us we pray that our hearts and minds would be turned toward him we pray that we would understand our own sin that we would come to the end of ourselves and that your spirit would enable us to follow wherever you lead we pray all of this in the name of the lord jesus who has